Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. 
And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match, which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morningcup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash morningcup. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cop of murder. When we learn about serial killers, we always want to hear their number. That horrifying number that tells us just how dark and twisted they really were. On December 15th, 2003, a man was charged with 13 murders. But if experts are to be believed, his number is closer to 400. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Charles Cullen, born February 22, 1960, grew up in a working-class Irish Catholic New Jersey family with seven older siblings in a household he would later describe as miserable. He made the first attempt on his own life when he drank chemicals from a chemistry set at just nine years old and even into adulthood, fantasized about stealing drugs and ending his own life. His life was made even more difficult when his mother died in a car crash when he was a junior in high school, an event that left a profound impact on his life. Shortly after, Charles dropped out of school and enlisted in the U.S. Navy, passing through all of basic training and the psychology examination required to enter a submarine crew. He quickly rose to the ranks, but struggled with the hazing and bullying amongst his fellow crewmen. A year into serving, one of his officers walked in to find Charles seated at the mission controls, wearing a surgical mask, gloves, and scrubs rather than his required uniform. He was disciplined and, after failing to explain his actions, was reassigned to a less stressful post aboard a supply ship. He made another attempt at his life and was sent to a psychiatric ward several times over the next few years of service before finally receiving a medical discharge in 1984. After he left the Navy, Charles decided to enroll in the Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing, where he was elected president of his nursing class and graduated just two years after his discharge with a job in the burn unit in St. Barnabas Hospital in Livingston. He also met and married a young woman named Adrienne Baum, and together the two had one daughter named Shauna. So while life had a rough beginning for Charles, things seemed to be looking up. But those who knew him well always sensed that something was bubbling underneath his exterior. His own wife became increasingly disturbed by his unusual behavior and his constant abuse of the family dogs. But at work, no one was the wiser. Charles Cullen killed his first patient on June 11, 1988, when he administered a lethal overdose of medication. He would go on to kill a number of other patients while at St. Barnabas, including an AIDS patient who he overdosed with insulin, before moving on in 1992 when hospital authorities began an investigation into contaminated IV bags. He figured he would get out before the trail led back to him. 
which it did, but by the time the investigation landed on him as the prime suspect, he was long gone. After leaving St. Barnabas, Charles took work at the Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, where he claims he murdered three elderly women with a high dose of digoxin. His final victim even complained that a, quote, sneaky male nurse injected her with something, but her family and the other healthcare workers dismissed her comments. The following year, Charles was in the middle of a divorce and had moved into a basement apartment. At this point, he claimed he intended on quitting nursing, thus ending his killing spree, but now had child support payments and rent he had to pay. He couldn't afford to find new work and continued tending to and killing the ill. In March of 1993, Charles broke into the home of one of his co-workers to watch her and her young son sleep. And though he did not hurt either, he began stalking the woman and she was forced to file a police report. He pleaded guilty to the trespassing charge, but only received one year probation, though the arrest did lead him to make another attempt on his life. He took a few months off of work and was treated for his severe depression at two different psychiatric facilities. But while there, he attempted to end his life two more times before the end of 1993. Now, you think the stalking charge and the suicide attempts would put a damper on his ability to maintain or even get a new job, especially after a 91-year-old cancer patient reported that the nurse Cullen, who was not assigned to her case, came into her room and injected her with a needle only to die the next day, especially after a 91-year-old cancer patient reported that nurse Cullen, who was not assigned to her case, came into her room and injected her with a needle only to die the next day. Unfortunately, his job seemed to be the only thing going well in Charles's life, and he kept his job at Warren Hospital after passing a lie detector test until he willingly left that spring and began working in the intensive care unit at Hunterdon Medical Center in Flemington. He had no problem bouncing around from hospital to hospital, and the reason for that was the incredible shortage of nurses in this country. Hospitals were so desperate for assistance that they were more willing to turn a blind eye to some of the more suspicious blemishes on his record. Not only that, but there was no means for reporting the mental health or employment problems of nursing staff. And concerned with liability, most of the hospitals where Charles Cullen worked were unwilling to take any significant action against him. At Hunterdon, Charles claims he spent the first two years working without harming a single patient. But medical records for the time period of his employment were destroyed by the time a legitimate investigation into his crimes began. Therefore, it is impossible to corroborate his claims. But he did later admit to overdosing five patients between January and September of 1996 before finding work at Morristown Memorial Hospital and moving on. He was fired from Morristown shortly after starting, but not because they were suspicious of any patient deaths, but because he exhibited poor performance. He was unemployed for about six months before seeking treatment for his depression once again and being admitted to a psychiatric facility. After that, he was hired by the Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Allenstown, Pennsylvania, where he was accused of giving patients their medication at unscheduled times and was fired after being seen entering a patient's room with a syringe. He then moved on to Easton Hospital, where he worked for four months and killed another patient with digoxin, moved on to Lehigh Valley Hospital, where he killed one and attempted to kill another, then took a job at the cardiac wing at St. Luke's Hospital, where within three years, he murdered at least five more patients. 
No one suspected anything was amiss until a co-worker found vials of medication in the trash. The drugs found had no street value, so there was no reason to try and sneak this particular medication out of the hospital. An investigation into the reason began and led straight to Charles Cullen. Still not sure why he would steal the vials, the facility made a deal with the nurse saying that if he resigned, they would give him a neutral recommendation. He did so and was escorted out of the building in June of 2002. Shortly after, several of his former co-workers alerted the Lehigh County District Attorney about Charles Cullen and their suspicion that he was using the drugs to kill his patients. The case was dropped nine months later due to lack of evidence, and Charles was able to get yet another job at yet another hospital, where he killed around 13 more patients. This time, though, the hospital was a little less forgiving. The computer system showed that Charles had been accessing the records of patients that were not his, and co-workers noticed that he was constantly in rooms of patients that he was not assigned to, accessing medications that were not his to distribute. In July of 2003, the New Jersey Poison and Education System warned hospital officials of their growing suspicions surrounding patient overdose and that they thought an employee at their hospital was responsible. They delayed contacting the proper authorities until that October, allowing Charles Cullen to take at least five more lives before finally, after a patient died of low blood sugar in October of 2003, the New Jersey police were contacted. An investigation into his past employment history revealed that many of the hospitals he worked at had their suspicion over the years, yet none filed any claims against him. He was placed under surveillance while evidence was being collected, and with the help of a fellow nurse wearing a wire, they were able to obtain enough information to arrest Charles Cullen on December 12, 2003 on one count of murder and one count of attempted murder. On December 14, 2003, Charles admitted to police that he was responsible for both the murder and the attempted murder for which he was being charged, as well as 40 other patients over the course of his 16-year career. This number would change over the years depending on who he spoke to, and experts have since estimated that Charles was responsible for as many as 400 deaths over 16 years, which, if true, makes him the most prolific serial killer in recorded history. He was charged the next day. In April of 2004, Charles Cullen pleaded guilty to killing 13 of his patients in exchange for life imprisonment instead of the death penalty. He was given 11 life sentences and will not be eligible for parole into the year 2403. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on November 16th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.